Please be seated. Good morning. Excuse me. So our gospel today is the second part of a three-chapter teaching by Jesus in Matthew, what we know as the Sermon on the Mount. Last week, we read the opening lines, what is known as the Beatitudes. Of course, last week, we had our annual meeting, so we didn't have a chance to talk about those words. So I'm going to weave them into what I talk about today. Um, The Sermon on the Mount happened fairly early in Jesus' ministry. He had called his disciples, as you recall, and they had begun to travel, walking together through Galilee with Jesus teaching and healing people along the way. Word had started to spread throughout Syria about this itinerant rabbi. And everywhere he went, crowds began to form. On this day, seeing the crowds forming, it says that Jesus walked up a mountain. I suppose in our context, it would have been more of a hill. But he climbed up the mountain. And he sat down, and his disciples gathered around him. I think he needed a little space from the huge crowds who are waiting for him. So he's just surrounded by his nearest and dearest, his closest people. And he began to speak the words of the Sermon on the Mount. I love this sermon because it is jam-packed with beautiful language and lessons. It sets the tone for his message and for his ministry, for our ministry. Jesus began with the Beatitudes, right? These are familiar. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will receive mercy, and so on. Jesus is painting a picture of the kingdom of God of what is possible with God, a world of justice and mercy in which all people have access to the blessings of God. Now, it would be a mistake to read this as some sort of a redistribution of blessings from those who are perceived to have been blessed to those who have not been as blessed. Jesus doesn't say that while the poor in spirit are blessed, the others will be cast out of the kingdom. He doesn't say that while those who mourn will be comforted, the comforted will mourn. He doesn't say that while those who hunger and thirst for righteousness will be filled, those who don't will suffer. That thinking is based on scarcity, as though the kingdom of God isn't big enough, or there isn't enough for us all to be filled, that there isn't enough of God's love to go around. But in the realm of God, built on God's economy, there's an abundance of mercy and righteousness and justice, love. And there is room in God's realm for everyone. No one needs to go hungry or or be persecuted. And no one needs to prove themselves worthy of accomplishment or, or, or reach for great heights in order to be welcome. God has already accepted us. And God already loves us. God rejects a tit-for-tat world 
God rejects a world of reciprocity, rewards, and punishments. That's how we humans think. God's world is one in which we are all blessed. God's world is not transactional, but transcendent. We don't behave ourselves or follow the rules or achieve great things in order to be rewarded, in order to earn God's love, but rather because we already know God's love and we have been transformed by that love. So in this first section, Jesus paints the picture of God's realm, the world as it should be and as it can be. And then Jesus transitions from describing God's realm, God's economy, to describing who we are within that realm. You, I love the way you read that, Brian, you are the salt of the world. You, you are the salt of the earth, pardon me. You are the light of the world, the salt of the earth. Salt is used to bring out flavor in food. It's used to cure food for longevity. It has antiseptic qualities, and it is essential to life. The light of the world, and we hear Jesus refer to himself as the light of the world in John, but here he is telling his disciples, he's telling us that we are the light of the world, shining a light so others may see and know God's love. And remember, Jesus is just talking those, his followers, his closest people who were fishermen and peasants, these are just regular people. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. These two images are best interpreted in the context of the Beatitudes, in the knowledge of our blessedness. Because we are blessed, we gladly, exuberantly offer our very essence our own gifts of flavor and spice to the world. Because we are blessed, we joyfully and fully let our light shine before others into the lives of those we encounter on this journey, bearing witness to the blessings of God. We don't offer these parts of ourselves to the world in exchange for our blessedness, but as a result of our blessedness an outcome of God's love and grace, to do good for reward, to do right in order to be blessed, is to miss the point. In fact, it separates us from the extraordinary power of blessing. Being blessed is the gift of understanding that it is possible to create a world in which human interaction runs on compassion mercy and love, not on riches and power. The world as we know it now doesn't understand the real power that comes from the knowledge of our own belovedness that results in our knowledge of one another's belovedness. Our blessing is to have that knowledge deep in our hearts. When you are truly blessed, you seek no reward, and yet you receive more than you could ever possibly imagine. Being blessed is the sheer joy that comes from knowing God's goodness and love. But blessedness is not only understanding or knowledge. It is not intellectual. It's experiential. And, the bless, and to be blessed compels you 
to bless. To be loved compels you to love. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. You share God's love because you are transformed by God's love. It is that simple, and yet it's not easy. It's not easy because while we sense the nearness of the kingdom, we can feel it and almost touch it and taste it. We are in it and, and not yet there. It is something we aspire to, we work towards. In blessedness, the kingdom has come near. It is both now and not yet. One of the many great, great conundrums of the gospel. In the indigenous translation of the New Testament, the kingdom of God is referred to as the road from above. I love that. I love that for a couple of reasons. First of all, it gets us away from some of that, that hierarchical, patriarchal language of kingdom and realm, and you know I appreciate that. But beyond that, I love the image. It gives a sense of God's world being one that we are seeking in the present, a path that we are walking right now. Rather than a place where we hope to arrive at some point in the future, it has a sense of pilgrimage, of journey, rather than destination. In this world we live in, day in and day out, the human world in which we live, we walk this path, take this pilgrimage, and strive to feel and share God's blessings with those we meet along the way. I know that this world in which we exist is imperfect. It is rife with injustice, so very far from the picture that Jesus paints of a just and merciful world built on compassion. It can often feel pointless to walk that road, but Jesus tells us clearly this is the work. No, not even the work. This is the blessing. Our Hebrew Bible scripture from last week was a passage from Micah. Micah is a con somewhat complex story where God actually takes God's people to court, believe it or not. Um, but there, at the end of that passage, Micah provides us a neat summary of God's call to us, probably as profound as any found in scripture. What does the Lord require of you? What does the Lord require of you to act justly and to love mercy and to walk humbly with your God? Jesus alludes to this passage later in Matthew 23 using slightly different wording when he castigates the religious leaders saying, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe mint, dill, and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faith. It is these you ought to have practiced without neglecting the others. And this is a theme that runs throughout Matthew's gospel. Those who claim deep faith follow the letter of the law, tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and yet had lost the spirit of the law. They had become legalistic and, yet had and, and living by the law for the sake of the law rather than out of a sense of blessing and belovedness. Jesus tells us in our reading today that he has come not to abolish the law, but to fulfill the law, to remind his followers about the spirit of the law. Act justly, love mercy, 
and walk humbly with your God, or said differently, love your Lord God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind, and love your neighbor as yourself. Listen to the words of the Sermon on the Mount in the context of Micah's profound words. This is what it looks like. Act justly, defending the rights of others. Love mercy, taking care of those who hurt and are in pain. And walk humbly with your God, being attentive to God and to God's blessings. Love others as God loves us. We're called to this because we live in an imperfect world. A world in which justice feels impossible, mercy even harder. But this is the work we're given to do as we pilgrimage along the road from above. This is the work we engage in here at St. John's all the time, right? We say that we are spreading God's love across the valley and beyond. We are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. Spreading God's love into the world by what and how and we do and act. I mentioned last week was the annual meeting. I'm sure many of you were here. What was probably, for me, the most profound part was when Jimmy offered a litany of the ways in which we do this work, from leaving a warm jacket hanging on a tree to building homes for Habitat, for making homes for 122 and Coombs, for gas cards and utility payments, for layettes for children in Nicaragua, to supplies for midwives in Africa, the little cards, you didn't mention this one, Jimmy, but we've talked about it, the little cards and the parishioner made that say things like, you are enough. You are loved just the way you are. Try love. It works. These little cards that he has designed and laminated and he hands out to people he meets along his journey so that they will feel God's love. I love that. Right? Such a simple thing, and it's just a reminder to us. It is a reminder to us what simple, simple tasks, simple offers of blessing can do in other people's lives. That is the power of blessing, the unexpected joy that comes from offering a kind word or a warm coat. The joy it brings those who give as well as those who receive. And most of what we do actually bubbles up from all of you, right? Ideas that come out of your compassionate hearts, the way that you add your own salt to the mix and shed a light on God's blessings. Our blessedness is to salt the earth, to give it flavor, drawing out what is too often hidden within it. Our blessedness is to light the way so that those we meet along the journey can also see and be blessed and know God. We know it's not enough to hear the good news of God, to hear and to listen intellectually. You know this, right? It's not enough for us to hear these words of Jesus, to study them, be inspired by them. We have to act on them, practice them, live into them every day of our lives, not in order to gain favor with God, but because we are already favored by God. We are loved. If you let that love truly transform your heart, you can't help but share it with the world, to shine that light almost without effort. It becomes who we are. 
And as we like to say at St. John's, who we are, love spreading difference makers. Amen. <laughs>